This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. It's where we take a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining me. This week, we'll continue our conversation with Doug Seussman, the architect and urban planner who's leading the ambitious project for the greater Hartford region called Hartford 400. Last time, we talked about the plan's vision to reroute the highways that cut off and, in many cases, destroyed neighborhoods. Today, we're going to talk about the three major places that the project would create. The first is a linear park called the Heartline. There's also a brand new urban district planned in East Hartford called Midtown. That would be created from the removal of the mix master of highway overpasses that clogged that city. And the third is River Road, the main thoroughfare that reconnects Hartford to the Connecticut River. It's built over an underground section of I-91. Sussman says these plans will work as a unit, but they don't rely on each other to achieve success. It makes a bit more manageable this transformation that could cost as much as $17 billion. And he tells me that this imagines a Connecticut economy that's built on creating a place that people want to live. Here's part two of our conversation. Doug Sussman, welcome back to Steady Habits. Thanks so much for joining me again. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, John. I'm delighted to do the second part. So, so when when last we left our audience, um, <laughs> we were talking about this Hartford 400 plan, and really in a lot of people's minds, the headlines of it were how it was going to reshape the roadway system in and around the greater Hartford region. And I Although that's not all of the plan, that's so important to people because of the destructive quality of the highway plan that was put forward decades ago and the fact that this would undo it. So we understand why people are are really concerned about the highway system, but there's so many other pieces to this plan. If you get a chance, Doug Sussman, to sit down with someone and explain to them what's really cool about this or what's really transformative about it, that has nothing to do with putting I-91 underground or moving I-84. What do you tell them? Uh, well, that, that's a great question, and, and I think it's the central one. Um, the highway system is it, 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 it's, uh, challenging, it's big, it's, it's expensive, but it's essential to do. But because of its scale, it tends to grab most of the attention. But really, it's a means to an end. Uh, sure, we want to improve the traffic situation, but the means of, of reconfiguring the highway is to get to the ends of reshaping the city and making it a better quality of life for everyone, a more sustainable, prosperous city. So uh, that that is the pivot. And uh, let me give an example. In the North End, for example, and, and I think I wasn't clear enough maybe last time because we talked a bit about the tunnel uh, on the, going under the South End for two miles in at Flatbush and out at Charter Oak Bridge. <clears throat> there is also a tunnel uh, under the North End, uh, what we've been calling 891. It's about half mile. So it's, it's relatively short around starts around union station comes out around uh market street or um uh, reverend moody overpass in in there and goes underneath that's the key uh and and i understand the concern because uh, of course the whole motivation for this to correct and repair the damage done by these by the massive uh, 84 uh, trench uh, let's call it that goes through downtown and cuts off the north end and and, and of course, if we were doing anything that in any way repeated that, that would be uh, disastrous. It's the opposite of what we're trying to do. So by putting it 
extending it northward but underground where you, you you really shouldn't see it feel it or have have any impacts if if you live in the north end what that does by putting it underground is allows us to repair the urban fabric on the main streets on windsor on maine on albany uh, on walnut on homestead and reconnect north end to downtown north end to the rest of the city north end to itself it, it was so chopped up by off ramps and highways so those improvements um so i, I just want to stress that and the city is undertaking a, a master plan at the so-called arrowhead i think it's named after a famous cafe uh it's really where six streets come together where all the main come together and it's really the bottleneck it is the connecting gateway of the north end because of the train tracks the north end really funnels down to that one point and that's the key point of connection the highway would be underneath that and out of sight and and uh, on the surface the master plan you know anticipates new housing and hopefully a supermarket and connecting to nodo and connecting to all the communities of the north end and we've included um uh, in our budget i think this is important people say oh well all the money's going to highways not so i mean a significant of the majority of the money goes because of course that's a huge undertaking but very significant uh, proportion goes to all of the benefits that then can happen when uh, when we reconfigure the highways and that includes uh, things like new streetscapes with uh, protected bike lanes wide sidewalks making our streets more walkable new public parks and spaces that's the benefit and we talked last time mainly about costs uh this time i want to i'd like to emphasize benefits and and i start with streets and neighborhoods because that's really ultimately where where the where the test is but there is also uh, in the budget that we propose, again, not just highway money, but money to, for example, expand Bradley Field Terminal to finish the Hartford line with stations in Newington, West Hartford and Enfield to extend CT Fast Track out through East Hartford, Manchester and the stores. Uh, so um, transit, biking, walking, streetscapes, parks, public spaces, boulevards. This is a significant, those things cost a lot less than highways, so you don't need to allocate as huge a part of the budget, but there we have allocated significant parts because that in the end is what people will see. It's the city they'll live. The highway, in some ways, we hope will almost, it'll never disappear, but we hope it will fade in its presence in the city to be replaced by the things that people really do want, which is a great quality of life, a great place, that attracts new residents, new businesses, new investment, and and helps the city thrive. Well, well let's talk about some of those those transit opportunities and and take them in in pieces. And let's start with the rail piece of it. Let's talk about how this plays into a larger northeast high speed rail plan. I hope it happens, and it would be fantastic for Hartford. But none of Hartford four hundred depends on that happening. Uh, if if it, if the high speed rail never came unfortunate but almost everything else in the plan could happen so th so that's key if it did happen i think it would you know uh, put us into uh, in, into hyperspace uh, as far economically it would be so fantastic but so we anticipate it and the city has anticipated city of hartford commissioned you know the uh, a design for a new uh, train station and looking at the highways and the tracks and how it would all work so i think the key for high-speed rail is be prepared. We do have money in the overall budget for high for the high speed rail project to build a new station that would accommodate. So, the the idea is be ready for it. Be prepared. Uh, 
have have the budget for it, but don't depend on it. How does the rest of the rail redesign fit in with that? And and how much more might we rely on rail? And I suppose I can uh, roll in the the fast track as as a as a yes. form of rail like transit. How much does that transform the region under this plan? Well, and it's critical. It it really is a is an a new conception, a kind of overlay. Uh, of course, we think of the, the Connecticut Valley as having, you know, beautiful freestanding homes and, and farms, and, and uh, that has always been the quality of it. It has to be both. It has to be that as well. And this is no threat to, you know, to any suburban community. But uh, over what we've been lacking is higher density urban areas that are sustainable and they're designed to accommodate people who, who do like the idea of either living in downtown or downtown Windsor Locks or downtown Enfield or downtown Berlin, because uh, those places all have uh, Hartford Line stations. And I think the same applies to fast track stations in Parkville or, or New Britain. That is the sort of, that's what's new, is the idea that we build higher density. And when I say higher density, apartment buildings, five or six stories, uh, that's the sort of norm. Where people can live um, in, a, in an apartment, have shops downstairs within walking distance, walk to a bus or a train line, walk to, many, uh, to a park or to a library and the amenities in their neighborhood. It's that kind of non-automobile-based living that many people in younger generations now seek, uh, ab absolutely preferring that to the suburban car-based alternative. So we have to do both, and we have we have the bones for it. We have we've invested in the Hartford line. We've invested in fast track. We need to finish those and extend those. Uh, and those are the basis. It's it's called transit-oriented development or transit-oriented housing. It means being able to live within walking distance of 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 the transit system. Now that transit system has to grow and be connected, but you should be able to hop on, for example, a Hartford line. If you live in downtown Windsor Locks in one of the, like in an old mill that's been converted and Windsor Locks is doing cool stuff, you should be able to hop on the train. And by the way, hop on a quick uh, rail connector to Bradley Field. That that should have a rapid transit line of some kind, probably bus, maybe maybe train. So that Bradley Field is connected to the, to the system. Uh, you should be able to hop on a train to Union Station and then get on a train and be in New York or Boston in one hour. So it's connectivity that's key in these kinds of systems from your house, walking down the street or hopping on a bus to a station that takes you to maybe the uh, high-speed rail station that takes you to New York and Boston. That's a connected region, both locally and, and uh, nationally. When we look at the map that you've provided of the Hartford 400 plan and the various pieces of it, the new construction and how it overlays, uh, there is a, a big line coming through the center of it that's called Heartline. And I'm wondering if you can explain what exactly Heartline is supposed to be. Thanks, Seth. What, what we've said is that the, uh, the reconfiguration of the highway system, if accomplished, both before, during, and after, allows us to move ahead on what we're calling three transformative projects. Uh, one's in Hartford along the riverfront called River Road. The others, the second is in East Hartford, again along the riverfront, extending all the way back to Main Street in East Hartford. And the third kind of straps them together uh, from left to right, from west to east, from Bloomfield Center, uh, past uh, University of Hartford and Weaver High, down the Griffin Line, into downtown Hartford, right to the 84 Trench that we've been talking about, across the Buckley Bridge, 
down through this new district, riverfront district called Midtown to East Hartford Main Street and Town Hall and into what would be the Hockenham River Regional Park. Uh, the Hockenham River runs into the Connecticut. It's covered with freeways right now with highway ramps, uh, but it should be uncovered and liberated and celebrated as, as, as an important river for East Hartford. That line is about seven miles, John, from Bloomfield Center to East Hartford Center. And it actually has a, has a corresponding uh, additional seven miles that would extend out along uh, the Hockenham River Trail, which a, a bunch of uh, stalwart people in, in East Hartford and Manchester have been building over the years. And that would extend seven miles from East Hartford all the way out along the Hockenham into Manchester Center. Potentially a 14-mile trail that is in some places mainly for walking and biking, where, where there might also be a rail line. Some of it's on city streets, but where there would be protected bike lanes. But you could cross the region, cross the Connecticut Valley for 14 miles on the Heart Line. And uh, it, has, it has many components to it, but that is... Uh, that in our mind, the, the kind of beauty of that, you talked about high-speed rail and is does it depend on it? You could say, does the whole thing depend on reconfiguring the highways? The heart line could start almost immediately. In fact, pieces of it are already in place. So that would be the, it, and it's relatively inexpensive to do these kinds of things, converting, you know, rails to trails, which Condot and the state have done in many places, is a relatively low cost and high impact um, proposition. So we love the Heartline as our third transformative project because it would connect, you know, we estimate 13 different neighborhoods, uh, eight different uh, parks, and uh, extraordinarily on the Hartford side, more than 20 schools and educational institutions that would be linked in ways where you could walk or bike to school without fear of, uh, of, of traffic. Uh, uh, there would be community art places along the Heartline, really a park. And we've seen it in cities from Atlanta's Beltline uh, to uh, Charlotte's Rail Trail all across the country. These kinds of trails are enormously successful and popular, generate new investment, create life in neighborhoods that uh, th that weren't so vibrant so we're really excited about this idea an area and it's just sitting there if you walk along the heartline today i don't recommend it because there are occasional trains but be careful but it, it's just there and it's quite green and wooded it's it's quite park-like already so this is what you know we call low-hanging fruit i mean this is a this is a community benefit and amenity that could so easily be um be transformed and this is not about, you know, knocking down highways and building tunnels. This is this is very, very doable stuff at relatively low cost. And and it could be, we, end, we estimate that it could be started in, within the next year and pieces of it could be up and running within two to three years. You've talked about this a little bit and, and you mentioned the last time we, we spoke in the context of uh, Congressman Larson wanting to make sure that his hometown of, of East Hartford uh, feels some of the transformation out of this, this midtown development that happens in East Hartford feels to me like it opens up an entirely new way of thinking about its its center were this to happen. Can you just talk a little bit more about what you hope East Hartford across the river looks like when this plan comes to fruition? Yeah, it's a thrill to do it. We're, we're doing a countdown. Our hard line is our, is our transformative project number three. Midtown is number two, and we'll, we'll get to the River Road, which is number one. Uh, so on the on East Hartford side, uh, 
think, imagine, you know, 1930s and the, the meadows in East Hartford, uh, where Connecticut Boulevard and the Mixmaster is today, you know, flood every spring. That, the whole meadows floods, always has flooded historically. But the flooding is so bad in the 1930s that the, the region, the city in East Hartford, Hartford and East Hartford, both decide to build flood walls. So Hartford's flood wall does a really good job of protecting downtown. And there really have not been any, anything like that in all those years. It's done a good job, although the, the dikes need to be repaired. On East Hartford, East Hartford also got an incredible flood wall and dike that protects the entire meadow area. But instead of taking advantage of that to bring East Hartford to the river, uh, which could have been done. After all, you know, Main Street, Hartford is less than half a mile from the water up on the hill. Main Street, East Hartford is almost a mile from the river because they had to move it so far back because of the flooding. Well, now here was a chance to move, literally shift the city's center to the river or connect Main Street to the river because of this flood wall. And what happened? We got the Mixmaster instead. So, you know, in, instead of taking advantage of that flood protection, it was used to solve a whole bunch of complicated highway problems in the region. The entire Mixmaster would go away. And as much we estimate that as much as 140 acres of land will be freed up to build what we call Midtown, which is a new neighborhood on the waterfront at one end and backing up to, to Main Street on the other, really connecting all of East Hartford to the riverfront. Now, we've talked a lot about the costs of Hartford 400, and it's costly. And that's why <clears throat> with the Biden uh, you know, uh, plan for infrastructure, it's really a once in a generation, if not in a once in a century opportunity to fund at this scale. Uh, but we don't talk about the benefits. So if we remove the mix matter for which there's a cost in which w would w is accounted for in the budget, suddenly there's 140 acres of land. And who owns that land? Well, we do, or the taxpayers of Connecticut own it. It's, it's a, the, the titular owner is the Connecticut Department of Transportation. Well, the state can sell that land if, if it suddenly has value for development, um, good development, uh, benign and sustainable development. It can be sold. So the state could sell that land and, and pocket the income from it. And then the, the town of East Hartford suddenly gets land where if someone builds something, they're going to start paying taxes on it. And so a, a land that now has no purpose other than to sit underneath the highway it can be sold for a benefit to state taxpayers and then built with tax generating benefits to the people of, to people of East Hartford. And the same is true on Hartford side. We'll talk about that. So that's, that's, the, that's the base. But what do you build? And what we've shown is, is an is a area called Midtown, which would have a lot of housing. Um, it would have a lot of transit. Um, it would have a fast track line would run through it and connect uh, East Hartford within itself, but also across the river and to the region and then eastward out to Manchester and stores. It'd be a wonderful place to live if you worked, if you worked in downtown or, or not. And it's organized around a central park that we call Midtown Commons. It's about the size of Bushnell Park. It would actually be kind of the twin of Bushnell Park on the east side. It faces the river. Um, we use some of the old highway ramp embankments as to sort of create a landscape in the park. Uh, Olmsted did that uh, in Central Park. And, and, and it's the same idea of rather than throwing everything out, we reuse part of what's left from the from the uh, mixmaster but it'll be a beautiful central park that has housing around it on three sides all facing the river all connected to the river and i think what happens is east hartford becomes a riverfront town as well 
in a way that now it 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 is and it isn't. I mean, there is a there, people have done a wonderful job with what they had to work with, and I want to do a, a shout out here to Riverfront Recapture, who for they're celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. 40 years, they've done an extraordinary job against all odds, I would add, to help people get to the riverfront across all of these highway and, uh, and train and flood wall barriers. And it hasn't been easy. And they've done an amazing job and have created a huge constituency for the river. But there's only so much you can do with all of that infrastructure in the way. So we're working very closely with Riverfront Recapture. And, and, and I think they're thrilled about the possibility of actually having the entire riverfront along both Hartford and East Hartford, accessible, available, where the river really becomes the center of the region, so, so um, not just from a couple of points. Yes. So then let's jump across the river and, and get to the, the last in our countdown here. We talked about River Road in the context of how it would be created. The, the need to have this uh, dike protecting Hartford from the river allows us essentially to keep I-91 below ground, as it were, build over top of it and have this new road that is alongside the river. You talked last time about right. how we would need to gradually build up streets that feed into it because they need to get up to a height to meet this 47-foot barrier that keeps the river out. But but now that we're we're there mentally, what exactly is River Road and what does it do for the city? How does it transform and what sort of businesses are, are along River Road. I mean, what might come down toward the river if that was a different sort of road? It's a great question. So so let's talk a little bit first about, about the road itself, the street itself, and then about what would be along it. Uh, and, and, and some people have been concerned that, oh, you're just putting another highway-like road on top of, of a highway. And, and, and let me say that's absolutely the opposite of the intention. I, I imagine Asylum Street, uh, lovely walkable street in downtown Hartford or Trumbull, let's say, which has, you know, uh, a, a lot of nice things along, is pleasant to walk along and so forth. That's how you should think of River Road. It's it's it, people have said it's very very wide. It's actually a hundred foot. We, we we've shown it as a one hundred foot right of way, but the roadway is about sixty feet wide, and at every intersection there are bump outs. You know what those are, so it makes it really easy to cross. About thirty to forty feet to cross. Very similar to Trumbull or uh, even Asylum. Asylum's a little bit narrower. So the idea is that it's a really nice walkable, vibrant urban street along the river, uh, elevated but along the river. And uh, it would have protected bike lanes, uh, street trees, and uh, and so forth. So it's not seen. It's not an an SDR drive in New York. It's not a lakefront drive in Chicago, which are really highways. It's not a highway. It's it's a city street. It it should feel like a, a very nice counterpart to Main Street or Trumbull, let's say. Um, so th th that's going along the street. And it's a street you'd like to live on. I mean, if there was an apartment building, I I'd certainly, you know, think that'd be a lovely place to live on a street where across the street from you is Riverside Park along the entire length of the city. Um, and while it would, would be busy and active with people walking, biking, taking buses and cars and so forth, it's a, that's, that's what an urban street is. Uh, it, it's not a country road, but it's not a highway. So that's the street itself. Getting up to it, the key that you mentioned is there'll be 13 east-west streets from Massey down by Dillon Stadium all the way up to Pequot and, and High and Anuccello in the north end, uh, where you would be able to connect directly to the park. So imagine you're at Keeney Tower. Or imagine you're at uh, Maine and Albany, where there's going to be a master plan in the Arrowhead and Keeney Tower is going to 
the great landmark right there. You'll be able to walk from Keeney Tower directly along High Street, sort of rise gently. You'll just, it'll just be like walking up a slight, a slight hill and, and arrive up on River Road where you might have a friend who's living in an apartment building or it might be a cafe on the corner. And then if you wish, you cross the street. It's a, a narrow crossing. You go across a safe street and you're in Riverside Park. And if you want, you can go down the hill right to the water's edge. That'd be the experience 13 times. So I've, I've just described it along uh, high from uh, Keeney, but it would also be true in the south end from the neighborhoods in the south, right by Dillon Stadium or right by Coltsville, uh, right up to River Road and into Riverside Park. All of Hartford, north, south, downtown, would feel like we're a riverfront city. If you, you could say to anybody, just turn east, keep walking, and you'll get to the river. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, no cages, no four-story cages across you know, that crazy uh, Rube Goldberg <laughs> structure, which, you know, I guess it's better than nothing. But, uh, and even Riverfront Plaza, which is wonderful, you still have to find your way up there on the Constitution Plaza. A real riverfront city, every, all roads lead to, lead to the river. And that's, that's what we would get. So the, the street itself, the connections to the river and the park going east-west. And then the third element is, okay, so what goes along it? And that's where, the, that's where we come back to, to land. We've estimated that as much as many as 40 acres of land, again, under the title of ownership title of the Connecticut Department of Transportation, because it's holding up highway, 40 acres of land are freed up for development. Once again, the state can sell them to an interested uh, party that wants to develop them and, and pocket that money. And then the city of Hartford, which has such a, a problem with its, uh, its tax base because so much of it is, is untaxed. And by the way, land under highways is not, it doesn't generate taxes, tax revenue either. Suddenly all the 40 acres, many of them, they're all downtown, so prime, and some of them are on the riverfront, so super prime, uh, it can generate uh, development, housing, shops, um, which would then be paying taxes. So you're putting land back on the tax rolls. That's, that's key. Now, who's going to build and what are they going to build? Well, okay, that's, that's the challenge. But all cities that grow have to figure out what is, what's going to attract someone to invest and build. Uh, I think COVID probably tells us less and less it's going to be office buildings. And frankly, hallelujah, office buildings are not great for urban vibrancy because they're dead in, uh, at night and they're dead on the weekends. So what we'd really like to see is, is housing, to build the housing um, so that one, the cost of housing and the variety of housing available is more varied, more affordable housing, more kinds of housing. If you want to buy a suburban house, you have a lot of choices in the Connecticut Valley. If you want an apartment or a townhouse of some kind, your choices are quite limited. So this would this would fill in a whole range of the market of people who really don't want to drive to a suburban residence, and that that's fine. But there, there's a whole market of people who don't, and we need to attract them. We want them people who maybe don't live in Hartford, as well as those who do, who would like to live downtown or in a more urban setting, whether it's Windsor Locks, Enfield, or downtown Hartford, to have those housing choices. That's the kind of development that we envision along River Road. I, I just have two two more questions for you. One has to do with as you talk about um, people wanting to live here. One of the the slides in the very nice video presentation, which I'll I'll link to so that people can can see, uh, suggests that if this development were to take hold, we could increase the overall population of the Greater Hartford region 
and I think I remember this from something like 1.2 million to something like 1.6 million people. That that feels like a pretty bold claim. And I'm wondering how how you think we get there. Is this is this sort of transformative plan something that's not just meant for the people of the region already to have a better experience of life, but that you think can actually bring that scale of new residents to the greater Hartford region? The plan is envisioned first and foremost for, for people who are already here, that's for sure. But I think we all sense the risk of stagnation, not growing jobs, not growing residents, not being able to keep our younger generation here, moving off to Boston, New York, or Austin, or Portland. How do we how do we keep how do we keep our younger generation wanting to stay here and and uh, start families and start businesses and careers and attract other people? And the, and the way we do it is to grow. Uh, it's very hard for a city to thrive when it's not growing, and we have plenty. Our point was we have so much room to grow. Uh, the density in the Connecticut Valley is virtually a rural density. It's it's uh, 1,100 people per square mile. Boston's 3,000 per square mile. New York is 12,000 per square mile. Our point was we could grow by 50% and still barely reach average suburban densities here. There's lots of room to grow if we grow densely around the station. So that that's where... It, and it doesn't impact. It's not like, oh, you're going to have a, you know, a tall building next to your suburban house. No, it, it, it's it, we, we preserve the green space that everybody loves, the farms, the rural area. You preserve that, but you 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 intensify uh, housing opportunities in places where people actually want to be, which is in either town centers or downtowns. And our point was, you could grow that, and you wouldn't even notice uh, in terms of uh, its impact on the region. And we need that economically in order to thrive. We've got to attract talent, uh, new residents, businesses, and investment in order to do all the things that we want to do for the people who are already here. One thing, however, that I've learned from lots of conversations over the years with urban planners, people who talk about wanting to have younger people stay in Connecticut, is they all talk about you know the choices that people have to live one place or another or how they want to live. The fact is, is that for an awful lot of people in our region, those choices don't exist because of socioeconomic barriers and other things that mm-hmm. we're not going to solve with a Hartford 400 plan and probably won't be solved over the course of the next couple decades. What do you say to them about this that makes their lives substantively better? Look, I'm talking about a regional economy where there are opportunities of all kinds for everybody. So this is not just... Uh, it's about growing an economy. Now, the case we, we briefed Governor Lamont a couple of weeks ago. We made the case to him that the, Hartford's future industry is not this industry or that industry or pick a winner. Hartford's future industry is place. If we can make a great place, and my gosh, we have all the ingredients of a great place. We're, our, our location, you know, location, 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 we are so well located. We've never leveraged the advantage of those locations fully halfway between New York and Boston, near the mountains, near the sea, access to so much. If we fully leveraged ourselves as a place, that's an industry because that would attract people to come and live. And that in itself will create the economic basis uh, for growth that would benefit everybody. I mean, it, it's no good if you're whatever neighborhood you're in, if there aren't jobs and there isn't growth. Uh, it's just it's stagnation does nobody any good. 
And what I've seen across the country in cities that are thriving, and there are a lot of thriving cities around this country, those cities and regions got their act together with a kind of shared vision, a consensus vision, not a vision that everybody agrees on every detail, but they got their act. They, they weren't squabbling. They weren't fighting in public. And vision doesn't just mean looking to the future. It's not just, it's not just sci-fi future. It's actually understanding the flow of time. It's understanding our history back 10,000 years, geological history 10,000, the 400 anniversary of, of, settle, of English settlement. It's understanding the flow of time in the past, how we got here, taking a sober look at where we are now, what our challenges are, and there are many, what our opportunities are, and there are many, and then saying, let's make a plan. If we do that, what happens is that appropriators, and we need appropriators, this doesn't pay for itself, you ha we need funding, and it's big funding from, from Washington particularly. Appropriators, when they see that kind of vision and consensus, they're, they're really eager to support it. When they see squabbling and disagreement, they're like, excuse me, I think we'll fund that city and that region because they've, they've got a shared vision, they've got their act together. So yeah. a big part of this is getting that shared vision together and, and going to Washington because that's what's on the table right now. Once in 70 years, I mean, the last time something this big interstate highway system, once in 70 years, if we miss this opportunity as a city and region, we can dream all we want. But uh, we, need, we need the resources to do all these good things that I think um, so many people are working hard to achieve. Doug Sussman, I really appreciate you sharing some of this vision with us and uh, hope to talk to you soon as, as this progresses and as we get a little closer. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to that. That's Doug Sussman of Sussman Urban Design. He talked to me from his office in Los Angeles. If you want to see some pictures of what we're talking about, River Road, Midtown, The Heartline, you can go to our website, steadyhabits.org. There you can also read an in-depth story on the plan by one of America's best writers on urban design and transformation, the Connecticut Mirror's own Tom Condon. Thanks to George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson from Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut for providing our steady beats. I'm John Dankosky, and we'll talk to you soon.